this last week uh, was a highlight for me in, in a number of different ways, uh, not only leading up to this time with Dan, but I also had the opportunity to spend uh, some time with a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in, in several years. And this is a good friend of mine. It's, it's the kind of friend that you can just see after having been absent from one another for a long time. You pick up exactly where you left off, and you have the ability to go deep. I mean, we weren't talking sports and weather kind of thing. We are talking about the big issues of our life. And, and I appreciate this friend because he speaks truth to me in a way that I can hear it. But in this conversation, we were talking about some of the struggles and some of the things going on in our life. He said to me, John, you know I love you, but this is a blind spot in your life. And I had two thoughts. The first thought was, I don't have blind spots in my life. Why is he saying something like this? I know myself better than anyone else does. In fact, I'm the only person who's been with me every step of the way since I was born. I know myself better than anyone does. And so he's just simply mistaken on that. But then the second thought that came right along with that one or right on the heels of that is, wait a minute, John, you've been wrong on things before. And you know you've deceived yourself before. And plus, your friend is one of the wisest people you know. And you know that he knows you well. And he speaks into your life and has done so oftentimes in the past. So so you should listen to him. And even beyond that, he wants you to become the best version of yourself as as you can be as as you follow Jesus. And so I, I thought, well, maybe I should listen to him. He's seeing a blind spot in my life that I'm not seeing or I can't see. Or maybe I don't want to see. And so that led me to think as I was driving back home, how do you know you're deceiving yourself? (laughs) Have you thought about that? If someone were to tell you you're you're deceived on something, how would you know that? By definition, you you don't know that because you've deceived yourself on that. And so in in preparation for my, my talk this week, which is about encouraging one another, in this passage we're going to look at specifically about deception, I thought, I'm just going to Google some quotes on this issue of self-deception and see what comes up. And there are plenty of them. I'm just going to show you three of them. Jody Picoult, who's an author, a well-known author, said, you can fool yourself, you know. You think it's impossible, but it turns out it's the easiest thing of all. What do you think about that? (laughs) She says it's the easiest thing to fool yourself. The legendary Benjamin Franklin once said, who has deceived thee so much as thyself? In other words, of all the people who live on this planet and in your history who may have deceived you, is there anyone who deceives you as much as you deceive yourself? And Derek Landy, a modern author, through one of his characters said, the lies we tell other people are nothing to the lies we tell ourselves. Isn't that interesting? How do you know that you are deceiving yourself? One of the things that you learn as you begin to to look into the the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only does he introduce you to God, he helps you to understand who God, our creator, is. But he also, in a very interesting way, through that, introduces us to ourselves. Not that we are our creator, God, but we come to know ourselves in right relationship to God and to ourselves when we get to know God. And one of the ways he does that, my friends, is through the gift of community. As I mentioned just a moment ago, when the gospel is proclaimed, it it forms communities of faith who intentionally follow in the footsteps of Jesus and learn to apprentice with him in a new way of being human. And that community of faith is supposed to play a vital role in your own spiritual growth. 
And so we've been looking this summer at a series called Life Together. We are exploring a new way of being human together. And specifically, we're looking at what we are calling the Life Together commands of the New Testament. In other words, when a person has taken a step to follow Jesus, what does that look like in relationship to others, and specifically in communities of faith? And you can see listed here just some of the, those Life Together uh, commands and instructions we're going to be looking at this summer. But already we have seen this important truth. We are designed to flourish as a part of a true community where we are devoted to one another. In fact, after the resurrection of Jesus, in the very first message that the apostles proclaimed, thousands of people were coming to understand who Jesus was and to believe in him. And so it says that they began to gather together and were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the fellowship of Jesus. And the thinking goes like this. When they learned in the good news of Jesus how God was devoted to them, it became very natural to become devoted to one another as well. And we've been learning that our default mode should be we instead of me. And that's a tough pill for us to swallow because we're living in 21st century America and it's just in our DNA to be devoted to me before we. But as we explore the teachings of Jesus and his apostles, we learn that we can't be devoted to me in front of we, but we're designed to be devoted to we instead of me. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage called Encourage One Another. And we're going to be looking at a, a passage that is very interesting because it's not talking about kind of a, a Pollyanna approach where you just slap each other on the back and go, you know what, the sun's going to come out tomorrow. Or just keep your chin up. Uh, rather, it's, it's the kind of encouragement that you and I will need as we take steps to follow Jesus, especially when it gets hard especially when it begins to cost us something to identify with Jesus, especially when we might be tempted to turn our backs and ditch our faith. It's the kind of uh, encouragement that we need to continue to follow in the way. And so this is what I know about you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need this kind of encouragement more than you think you do. And if you think you don't need encouragement I might just gently suggest to you, maybe, maybe you're deceiving yourself. We need the encouragement of one another to continue strong in the Christian faith. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, hopefully one of the things that you'll learn as we work through this passage is what, is it, what does it mean to, to come to believe in Jesus and then to be part of a community of faith that actually excels at encouraging one another? And helping you become the very best version of yourself that you can be as you, as you follow Jesus. And so we're going to look at just two verses in this book called Hebrews. And we're going to see how it encourages us to encourage one another. So it begins like this. Here the author says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now let's understand this passage in context. This was written by someone who was writing to a group of Jewish Christians who were finding it very difficult to follow Jesus. Not only were they receiving pressure from their Jewish friends who didn't believe in Jesus, but they were finding it increasingly difficult to live in a society that was beginning to understand that Christianity wasn't just a sect of Judaism, but it was emerging as its own entity. That is, when people came to believe in Jesus, they were becoming a part of a movement that wasn't recognized by Rome as one of the official religions. 
mainly because it required allegiance to Jesus above all else. And in Rome, they wanted you to be allegiant to Jesus. And even though they made an exception to the Jewish faith, Christians were something altogether different. And so he says to them, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The author is building a case that no matter how hard it gets to follow Jesus, don't give up. Don't turn your back on him. Because if you do, you're essentially crucifying Jesus all over again. You're putting him back on the cross saying, I don't want anything to do with him. And besides that, Jesus is better than life. And so continue in that. So he calls these uh, early followers of Jesus as a community of faith to take care, to look out for one another, lest there be in anyone an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, part of what we need to understand is in Scripture, the heart is not the, the organ inside of us that pumps blood. In, in the Jewish mindset, the heart was the control center of your being. It was where all your thoughts and all your affections, all your emotions and all your desires arise from. And so that's why in the ancient book of Proverbs, that, that book of wisdom, it says, above all, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The most important thing you can do, this proverb says, is to guard your heart because everything that you do flows out of your heart. We saw earlier in our service this verse from the prophet Jeremiah. It says, the heart is, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We're called to, to guard our hearts and yet our hearts at the same time have crazy desires and emotions and affections and cunnings that seek to fool us. And so the writer here says there's a connection here between an evil, unbelieving heart. And an evil, unbelieving heart is just a way of saying a heart that wants to do what it wants to do, apart from what God wants to do. So be careful. There's not an evil, unbelieving heart within you leading you away from God kind of heart that leads to a hardened heart. There, there seems to be like a progression that goes on here. Back to the prophet Jeremiah in, in the passage that he talks there, he's, he's encouraging his, his people at the time to not turn their backs on, on the Lord and his ways. And if you know anything about the time when Jeremiah ministered, they were doing crazy things. And they were led by the religious leaders to do crazy things. I mean, I'm talking sacrificing their children in fires to the gods of the nations around them. That's how crazy it was going. And so through the prophet Jeremiah, God said, consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord and have no awe of me. In other words, when our hearts become unbelieving, they begin falling away and they can become hardened. And here is Jeremiah's Old Testament way of saying Consider how, how evil that is, how bitter it is for you when you turn aside. There's a, a classic hymn called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I think everyone who is a follower of Jesus resonates with these particular lines. In it, the, the author says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This was written by a person who was a follower of Jesus who who looked at his own life and saw there's this tendency to, to wander from God, 
Even though he wants to be with God, to wander away and, and to leave the God I love. Which you would think is crazy because if you love God, then why would you want to leave? But they're saying, look, there's something within me that, that has this drift away. And so the author that we're looking at here in Hebrews says, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, in our culture, we have this phrase that says, listen to your heart. <laughs> and, and it's the stuff of songs. It's the st stuff of romantic comedies and, and things like that. And I, I can't tell you as a pastor how many conversations I've had of people who said, you know what? I listened to my heart, and it got me in big-time trouble. <laughs> I look at my own life and my own history and the times I've listened to my own heart. Our hearts are deceitful, and sometimes they don't have our best interests in mind which is a wild thing to think about. So, so the author is saying, you, know, you got pressure from the outside to turn away from God, but there's also a pressure within you as well. So take care together as a community of faith and look out for one another. And then this is what he says in verse 13. But exhort one another every day. Your translation might say, encourage one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's interesting, isn't it? Here we're called to encourage one another every day as long as it's called today. <laughs> it's like, okay, what's on my to-do list today? Oh yeah, I need to encourage folks. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So not only is there outward pressure to turn away from following in the ways of Christ, there's also an enemy within us that seeks to deceive us. And then there's, there's almost this power called sin that seeks to deceive us as well. And so we're called to exhort one another. And so I want to invite us to geek out on the Greek language for just a second here. That word exhort is, is a combination word, which means basically to call together. And it has the idea of coming alongside someone to encourage them, to urge them, to console them, to, to cheer them up, to invite them to come along, to keep going, or, or to summon. Parakaleo, to come alongside someone. This word is used in, in various places in the New Testament. For example, the Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the believers living in a first century town called Ephesus, writes to them and says, I have sent him, speaking of his, his colleague Tychicus, I have sent him that he may encourage your hearts. He knows that the Christians in Ephesus are struggling in their walk. And so Paul is sending them a special person whose job is to parakaleo them to encourage them. He says in another letter to some, some Christians living in Thessalonica, he says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. As a community of, of followers of Jesus living in a city that is crazy, he says, what I want you to do is parakaleo one another, encourage one another and build each other up just as you're doing. He says, you're doing this, but keep on doing that more and more. The same idea is said just a few verses later. We urge you, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. There's this idea of meeting one another. I need encouragement and you need encouragement. And we need to encourage one another. The author of Hebrews says we need to do this every day. It's not that you just need some encouragement every once in a while. 
You need encouragement every day. And, and this is a challenge for us because we don't necessarily live right next door to each other. We live in different parts of the city, and, and it's challenging. But, but there's ways we can make movement toward this with technology, right? We can, we can seek to move towards other, one another and, and encouragement. But he says we need to do this every day. Every day, people are struggling in understanding Jesus and understanding how to apply his teachings to life, struggling with our own hearts that seek to lead us astray. And we all need encouragement. Maybe that's why later in the book of Hebrews, the writer will say, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, as this is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, speaking of the day of the coming of Christ. So he says, look, let's think about how we can stir one another up, encourage one another, motivate one another to, to love and good works. This is the life that Jesus calls us to. Not neglecting to meet together, as some have fallen into the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, parakaleoing one another. And so here's the bottom line for us. We are meant to encourage one another to become all that we were meant to be as we follow Jesus. We are meant to encourage one another to become all that we can be and all that we were meant to be as we follow Jesus. And so, my friends, lean in on this one for a second. What that means is that God's will for you as you follow Jesus is to become an encourager. This is something that, that God wants to work into your life, to, to learn and to excel at encouraging one another. But that also means that if you want to follow Jesus, you're desperately going to need encouragement as well. And so we are meant to encourage one another to become all that we were meant to be as we follow Jesus. And so I want to, to help us think through this just a little bit and just a couple points of application. And so maybe the first that point of application would go something like this. We need to develop a healthy suspicion of ourselves. If it's true that our hearts can lead us astray, if it's true that it can be really hard to follow Jesus sometimes, we need to learn to be suspicious of ourselves and that we don't always think rightly on this issue, that we can listen to our, our own lies, that we can, we can be deceived by sin itself. I remember as a young Christian, I came across the writings of a fellow named Robert Murray McShane, and he was a, a Scottish minister who died when he was 29 years old, but this guy was brilliant, off the charts, and very pastoral. And the, the sentence I came across that kind of stopped me in my tracks was this. The seeds of every known sin lay dormant in our hearts. The seeds of every known sin lay dormant in our hearts. Now, probably if, if God is at work in your life, you're, you're realizing some of the inclinations of your own heart and some of the, the, some of the struggles with sin that you have. But the temptation is sometimes to look at other people who, who maybe have different struggles than you and think of yourself as, as more superior. And, and, and what he says here is, look, basically, those seeds, through whatever reason, haven't been watered in your life and come to fruition. But they could. They could very easily do so. I, I remember hearing a story one time of, uh, this is a man that I just esteem out uh, just beyond measure. His name is Joe Nomas, and he's a pastor in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and he is one of the most humble people I know. And I remember hearing a story that he told one time 
of when he was a young minister, hearing an account about another minister that he esteemed highly who committed adultery. And it blew his mind. This older minister had so much influence in his life and he just couldn't, it rocked his world. How could this man do something like that? And so what he did is he he actually got the courage up to write to this older uh, minister who had fallen and and say, you've been such a help in my own life and and I saw that this this event happened in your your life and I wondered if if maybe I could meet with you and just ask you some questions and and maybe learn from from your mistakes. And, And the guy said, yeah, sure. And so they got together and basically this, this older minister said to him, do you believe that there is enough evil within you to destroy this world three times over? And Joe Nomison said his eyes got really big as he thought about the implications of that. And he said, yes. And, and this, this minister who had fallen said, well, I didn't. And I say that not because I want us to, to beat ourselves up about just, you know, we're evil people or something like that. I, that's not the reason at all. But, but sometimes even those of us who've walked with Jesus for a long time can deceive ourselves. We can convince ourselves that life is found apart from following Christ. And so the seeds of every known sin lay dormant in our life. And if we think that we might not be able to commit a particular sin or that our hearts wouldn't lead us astray in one area, maybe that's especially where we might need to be on guard. So let me ask you the question. Have your eyes been open to how easy it would be for you to be led astray by your own heart? Do you feel that pull sometimes? And I I hope that you will say yes to that. Because I think once we understand that, then we can be more patient with one another, but we can also encourage one another. I remember one time in our lives um, having a conversation uh, with some folks around this issue of adultery, and we saw some some marriages that, that fell apart with that. And I remember coming home one time and asking my wife the question. I just point blank, I said, Heather, do you think that you could ever commit adultery? And without stopping, she said yes. And that's not because she was thinking about doing that, but that she understood that given the right situations, maybe I'm being a jerk of a husband, maybe, maybe I'm crushing her spirit, whatever. She said, I, you know, that, that's a possibility. I don't want to do that. But I was actually thankful to hear her say that because she knows that she could be deceived and she doesn't want that to happen. And I know that given the right circumstances, I could do something like that. I could blow up my family. I could blow up our community of faith. And I don't want to do that. But that's why we need the encouragement of one another. But that encouragement starts in understanding that we can actually deceive ourselves. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews says, you guys need to encourage one another. So we saw from the Apostle John earlier, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's an influential writer in my life by the name of Paul Tripp. And he has this book called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And he said this. I think it's, this is really insightful. See what you think about it. We would like to, I'm sorry. We would all like to think that no one knows our hearts better than we do. We would like to believe that others may be self-deceived, but we are not. It's simply not true. Since sin is, in its essence, deceptive, as long as sin lives in our hearts, we will tend to be blind to the true condition of our hearts. But more must be said. Not only will we be blind to our hearts, 
but we will be, we will be blind to our blindness, thinking we see when we really don't. That's the most dangerous place to be in, to be blind to our own blindness. It's actually progress to be able to see that we're blind to our blindness and, and invite help and encouragement to others. So my friends, develop a healthy suspicion. We don't want you to be paranoid about yourself, but we don't want you to be gullible as well. If what the scriptures say, we are all experts in fooling ourselves, let's just own up to that and that we can deceive ourselves. Secondly, I think an application of this is to live closely to Jesus and to Jesus' people. I made kind of an allusion to this quote earlier. Blaise Pascal says, not only do we only know God through Jesus Christ, but we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself introduces us to God, but he also introduces us to ourself. As we come to know the true creator God, we begin to know ourselves as well. And so when we follow Jesus, it really is an apprenticeship on becoming a new kind of human being or being human in a new way. But one of the gifts that he gives to us is a community of faith. You are never meant to go it alone. As the saying goes, lone rangers are dead rangers. And so we need one another. Paul Tripp, in that same book I was just quoting from, makes reference to this particular passage we're looking at today. And he says this, the Hebrews passage clearly teaches that personal insight is a product of community. I need you in order to really see and know myself. Otherwise, I will listen to my own arguments, believe my own lies, and buy into my own delusions. My self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. <laughs> what an amazing way to put it. My self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. If I'm going to see myself clearly, I need you to hold up the mirror of God's word in front of me. That's it, my friends. We need to understand that we don't always see ourselves correctly, that we are always trying to fool ourselves, and that's why we need other people. We need other people to hold the story of Jesus before us and to draw us back into it, remind us of who we are when we follow Jesus. And so, my friends, develop a healthy suspicion of yourself. Live closely with Jesus and Jesus' people. And the third one is this. The third point of application is, is simply pursue and invite accountability. I'm having a conversation with one of my friends one time, and he said this. He said, I, I like the idea of accountability in the lives of other people. <laughs> so other people need accountability, but I really don't like that idea. But my friends, we need that. I need that, and you need that. Uh, one of the ways that our task force functions here at, at Mercy Hill Church, and I didn't tell Charlton I was going to say this, um, was uh, is to provide accountability and, and oversight of me as a pastor here. And I remember one time sharing with our task force last year that I really was kind of uh, hitting this dry space in my own life and, um, and finding it kind of hard to, to get my focus spiritually. And, and I need that because I'm, I'm trying to lead this church and, and to be an authentic expression of a person who follows Jesus and, and calling all of us to follow along as well. And, uh, and, I, and I mentioned that. And, and Charlton, um, after... After I gave that indication, I think he texted me or emailed me or something like that. And he asked me some very pointed questions. He's like, is there something going on in your life that you're not telling us about? Which was a great question. And, and thank God for, for friends and shepherds like Charlton, who, who was willing to ask me the difficult questions. And so I need accountability, my friends, and so do you as well. 
Brene Brown, who is an expert in, in shame and, um, and self-image issues, famous speaker. She has a, a talk on TED, uh, TED Talks, and she said this one time. We spend too much precious time and energy managing perception and creating carefully edited versions of ourselves to show the world. What do you think about that? We spend far too much time and energy, she says, managing people's perceptions of, of us, creating carefully edited versions of ourselves to show the world. We just do that. We do that with social media. We do that even without trying. And so when we pursue and invite accountability in our life, what we're doing is we're inviting people to come into our life where we're showing our unedited versions of ourselves, saying, this is where I'm struggling, or this is where I'm not seeing things clearly. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? What questions do I need to be asking myself? How do I need to be reminded of the goodness of God in this situation? There's uh, an account that I affectionately refer to as the cream cheese story. Uh, it's an account written by an author who, who said this. He said, as I sat with my family at a local breakfast establishment, I noticed a finely dressed man at an adjacent table. His Armani suit and stiffly pressed shirt coordinated perfectly with his power tie. His wingtip shoes sparkled from a recent shine. Every hair was in place, including his perfectly groomed mustache. The man sat alone eating a bagel as he prepared for a meeting. As he reviewed the papers before him, he appeared nervous, glancing frequently at his Rolex watch. It was obvious he had an important meeting ahead. The man stood up, and I watched as he straightened his tie and prepared to leave. Immediately, I noticed a blob of cream cheese attached to his finely groomed mustache. He was about to go into the world dressed in his finest with cream cheese on his face. I thought of the business meeting he was about to attend. Who would tell him? Should I? What if no one did? I love that picture because I think in many ways, if we apply what we're hearing today, there's ways in which we have cream cheese on our face and we don't know it. Uh, my wife said once that a true friend is someone who will tell you if you have teeth or food in your teeth. And <laughs> I think that's, that's true. That's, that's a good friend who would be willing to tell you that. But what if, what if we don't need encouragement from other people? What if we say, I don't need any kind of accountability? Could it be the case, my friends, that you're walking around with cream cheese on your face and you don't even know it? Let me just share one last anecdote from my own life. There was a point in my life where I realized not everyone was buying into the carefully edited versions of myself that I was creating to share with the world, all right? And uh, this was about 10 or 15 years ago. And, and uh, I, I came to this point where I'm like, I can't believe everyone's not buying what I'm selling. <laughs> and uh, it was just one of those moments. And, and it came in conjunction with me reading a book on humility, which is always dangerous, which is why I gave a copy of that to Dan. But I was reading that, and I, I saw this cream cheese story. And then it realized, I realized I, I, need, I need to ask my wife some hard questions. I need to ask my wife, where are my blind spots what am I not seeing about myself? Where is there cream cheese on my face? And so when I did that, she said she had two thoughts hit her simultaneously. One thought was, yes, I've been praying for this day to arrive. <laughs> and the other one was like, oh no. What if I tell him what he's like, where he needs to change, how other people are experiencing him, and he takes it out on me? 
And so I, I told my wife, I said, look, I, I, I wanna hear what you have to say because I know there's cream cheese on my face and I can't see it. I need you to help me see it. So what I wanna do is, is have you think about it and pray about it. I'm gonna take you out for dinner and I wanna hear from you and I'm gonna write it down and I'm not gonna critique it. I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna think about it and pray about it. So you don't have to worry about me uh, you know, convincing you that this isn't true or justifying myself or trying to convince you of why I'm right and you're wrong. And so she's like, all right. So she's calling friends all around the world saying, I need you to pray for me. And so we had that evening. And uh, she started out by saying, you know, this is, I love this about you and you're great in this area and stuff like that. But we need to tweak this a little bit here. And this is how other people are experiencing you. And you need to be freed from this. And this is a blind spot in your life. And that was hard to hear. But my friends, let me tell you, I would not be the man I am today if my wife didn't have the courage to speak that truth to me. I look at my own life, and, and that was a key turning point. Because if you think I'm arrogant now, and I am, if you think I'm a very prideful person now, and I am, you should have seen me 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> and Jesus has been working on me since then, all right? And part of that is because my wife pointed out where I had cream cheese on my face. And so, my friends, let me just ask you the question. Where is the cream cheese on your face? Do you see it? Do you see the blinders? Do you see where you're fooling yourself? So what would it look like, my friends, if we became the kind of community that excelled at encouraging one another? What would it look like if there was such honesty and, and transparency here where we can stand up with one another and invite other eyes on our life and say, look, I'm struggling here. Would you pray for me? Can you help me become the best possible version of myself as I follow Jesus because I'm being entangled by, by my own self-deception? What would it look like if we stopped wasting so much precious time and energy uh, managing perceptions about ourselves and creating carefully edited versions of ourselves and instead said, look, I need your help to see me clearly. What would it look like for you and I together to master the art of encouraging one another? That's where... Jesus is calling us. My friends, we are meant to encourage one another to become all that we were meant to be as we follow Jesus.